Welcome to Filmstrip. These podcasts are spoiler-filled as we discuss the plots, characters, and themes of the films in review. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title 17. Welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Jay. I'm Ron. And I'm Nick. And I just want to know which one of you left the hot tub on. And this is our review of Paranormal Activity 2, starring Katie Featherston, Sprague Graydon, Brian Boland, and Molly Ephraim, directed by Todd Williams, released in 2010 on a budget of $3 million. That's a heck of a jump from fifteen grand. Uh, grossed over $177 million at the box office. A major smash hit. We talked about last time, guys, You know how they might go with a sequel. Was there a series there? And they decided to go prequel with it. And so from the start, I wanted to get your thoughts on that, that the majority of this film takes place a couple of months before the last one. I I was thinking about that uh, as I watched it. And I, I was actually kind of impressed with the way they built this movie around the holes left in the first paranormal activity. <laughs> uh, I, I was, I was actually pretty impressed by how well they were able to, kind of wrap this around that like the candy around a Tootsie Roll pop. Yeah. Uh, you know, but it's it's a stretch at some points, that's for sure, but I give them points for actually uh, attempting it. George Lucas effect for me, guys. It's kind of <laughs> like, you know, seemed like they kind of, you know, they had a, <clears throat> I wouldn't call them plot holes, but they seemed like they had some elements from the first movie that they basically kind of took those and tried to it looked like they uh wrote a plot around them you know whether it be like the photograph or just some other elements i mean it totally was george lucas here because they pretty much explained everything from that first movie even mika's obsession with getting that video camera i know like even took that one throwaway line from her in the driveway about what happened to the little mini cam thing and that now the other family has the mini cam of course so it's i know i i will give him credit for doing that and ron who wrote this who's the director who's todd williams and who are the people that wrote this thing well, well, we'll start out with Todd Williams because he's got the most uh, noteworthy accomplishments. Uh, in the mid-90s to early 2000s, he was married to uh, Famke Jansen. Yeah, and now he divorced her, or they divorced, and now he's married to Gretchen Maul. And he's also actually slated to do the upcoming adaptation of Stephen King's novel, Cell. Oh, is that the, the one where the, where the, yeah, where the cell towers kill everybody? Yes. Okay. So yeah. So that'll that'll be fun. <laughs> two of the three writers, one of whom I don't I don't know anything about him, but the other two are Michael Perry and Christopher Landon. Christopher Landon, of course, is the son of Michael, uh, teenage werewolf. Now Michael Perry, you said step. wrote for the Dead Zone, like the the uh, Anthony Michael Hall Dead Zone. Yes. Okay. So. He, uh, yeah, he was a producer and a writer on uh, Millennium which uh, is seriously underrated. He wrote a bunch of uh, four episodes and was a producer on The Dead Zone. Uh, he worked on 
Law and Order SVU. He worked on Chris Carter's not X Files project. Uh, I mentioned Millennium already. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Freaky Links, if you remember that, the five minutes that was on. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's uh, a- American Gothic, which I would love to find on DVD somewhere. Oh, that was and a great show. That was a good show. Yes. I- that was that was severely underrated, and we yeah. deserved another season of that. That was spectacular. It had the guy. It had the. They had the guy from The Office in there too, didn't it? Uh, which which guy? American yeah. Gothic, the uh, yeah. the boss, right? Uh, no, that no, was, I had uh, Gary Cole and Lucas Black. It was Bill Lumberg from Office Space. Yeah, yeah, yeah Gary Office. Cole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. I'm Office yeah. Space. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah, Office Space. Yeah, Bill yeah. Lumberg. Yeah, look, I, I've been a fan of Gary Cole since his first TV movie when he played Captain Jeffrey McDonald in Fatal Vision. If you've never seen that, it's a it's on YouTube. Go watch it. He's What's uncanny is watch that and then watch the 48 hours mystery about the Jeffrey McDonald murder. And it's really uncanny how well he had him down. It's kind of scary. So, but yeah, well, no, that's what well, you know. That tells me though is Oren Pelly stepped back from the camera and said, I'll just produce. And he brought in people. I mean, obviously Todd Williams is a, is a, you know, a director knows what he's doing, but he brought in other writers that worked on freaky, intricately, you know, woven, plotted, find the the smallest of holes and plug it in writers to do this sequel to, you know, what had been the the runaway hit of all time. And I, I, I can't fault them for that. That's actually, you know, if I looking at it on paper, I knew nothing about it when it came out, you know, of course. And so knowing all that now, I'm like, man, they really not only did they beef the budget up, which you knew they would, but they really put some people behind this that you'd think could do the suspense. Well, they I totally mean, pulled the saw with the series. I mean, if you've if you seen the all, all the saw movies, yes, um, just the way they were all, I mean, you had the first one, which was a very, very low budget film. And then they started writing all these other sequels. And then they started like taking little tidbits of each of them and intertwining them throughout. I mean, <clears throat> right. And they kept me. the same crew working on it all the time too. Is that that's yeah, the other exactly. thing about the saw is that they, they kind of promoted people up <laughs> through the line. Yeah. I think, I think the director of saw seven was like the uh, guy who got the coffee in the second one or something. <laughs> yeah. Something like that. <laughs> but, but it's like, if you've seen like saw four, I mean, that one actually like takes place during the same time as saw three. Right. And that's exactly what they did here. I mean, it's almost very similar even to like the Fast and the Furious series and over Fast and the, uh, <laughs> um, was it like uh, Fast, Fast Five or whatever? I mean, it yeah. all kind of took place during the same time as like uh, Tokyo Drift and stuff. Right. And even the uh, yeah. the Thing remake, which really wasn't a remake, it was a prequel to the original Thing movie, did basically the same thing where it was just kind of like, they're not telling you it's a prequel, but you start getting all the little hints and little stuff that you saw in the original ones that are popping up here. And, well, and they do give us that one credit line too. Where it's like 60 days before the death of Mike, Mika Sloat. And so that's when we, you know, we start getting the clock ticking, I guess, but we'll, we'll get into that. But I, I think before we go any further, guys, let's do a plot summary. And Nick, why don't you tell us what happened in paranormal activity Two? Okay. After a suspicious break in at their home during which every room in the house was trashed, save one, Daniel Ray decides to invest in a security camera system to protect his wife, Christy, daughter, Allie, and son, Hunter, from any future criminal activities because cameras are going to protect you. Unfortunately, security cameras don't protect the family from paranormal activity. Cue the inevitable bumps in the night and weird demonic presence haunting young Hunter's room. The family housekeeper tries to keep the evil at bay by burning sage. But Daniel catches her, and it's goodbye, Martine. Her reward for doing something good is to be fired, even though Christy believes that the house is haunted. When she was a little girl, Christy and her sister Katie were tormented by a demon. And in a Google search, Allie learns that demons often trade wealth and power for the soul of the firstborn son. 
that's not very good. It's kind of like the Omen, right? <laughs> well, I think the Jenners did that too. Um, oh. <laughs> an attack on the family dog separates Daniel and Allie from Christine Hunter, and that's when the demon strikes. Christy displays increasing signs of possession, leering in Hunter's room with a mysterious bite on her legs. She got smashed hard. <laughs> Allie calls Daddy. <laughs> And Daddy calls Consuela, and arrangements are made to pass the curse from Christy to Katie. Furniture falls, light fixtures shake, and some cross-foo is employed. Christy collapses, and Dan burns a familiar photo of a young Katie after putting his demon-free wife to bed. Three weeks later, Katie comes by to talk about the weird things happening at her house. One night after the mysterious death of Mika Sloth, Katie comes back over. Daniel's neck is snapped. Christy is killed trying to protect her baby and demonic Katie disappears with the little baby hunter. Three days after the murder, Allie returns home to discover her dead family, but the baby brother was nowhere to be found. Wow. So a lot goes on in this one. I think you said it in the outset, Nick, they kind of explain everything and lay it all out for us there. And then we really us. need to learn how, uh, how Mika got a scar on his chin. So I, well, I don't know that they got that deep, but Wait, that was last crusade. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I do. But, want, we, but yeah. we do learn how Mika gets his groove back. So there's that with this the camera. Is, this is true. We do. We do learn that. And, uh, we we'll get some great pool scene. We'll get into that. But I, I want to say this about this this film. The last one was uh, right under 90 minutes, right? I mean, didn't, you know, just sort of rolled along. And I never at any time felt like, is this ever going to get anywhere? Like, I was so invested in the characters last time. I think I just really took to it. that This one feels so much longer. And it's really only five minutes longer. But it feels like the second act in this one to me just... I don't know. How was it for you guys? I felt like it, it dragged on forever before we ever finally got to Google search an alley. All right. Well, I'm just going to be a little honest here. When I watched the first one, I watched it twice. I was real easy to watch, jetted through it twice. This one took me three times to actually get through. Wow. Um, a lot of it had to do with me falling asleep. <laughs> I actually just finished it up today. Wow. So. <laughs> Yeah, it, it did feel a bit longer in a lot of areas. I think a lot of the problems with that has to be that we've seen this before. After seeing the first one so close to seeing this, you already know what the setup's going to be. You know, it's going to be, okay, they're going to explain what the cameras are, why they're there, and then you're going to get to know everybody, and then you know it's going to be a very, very slow burn. Well, and I think, kinda, I think what hurts it, too, is that it, it tells you it's a prequel right away, and you know that... You know, you're almost like you, you got that countdown because it tells you, you know, 60 or 30 days until Mika dies. So you kind of have that number in the in the back of your head and you know that really nothing's going to happen until you get to that point. Well, you know, nothing's going to happen to her or Mika. You wonder how they're connected besides her just being sisters with with Christy here. And I, let's talk about the conceit of the cameras, though. Last time the conceit was Mika bought this really expensive camera because they had apparently been around people that had one and he's obsessed with electronics and he buys this one and then weird stuff starts going down and they start documenting it all the time. This time it's a mix of security camera footage and then just the regular little handy cam that the family has. And I wanted to ask both of you how that worked for you this time. I actually really liked the uh, the conceit of the security cameras. Uh, the first one had more. Uh, the first paranormal activity had more shaky cam 
than I than I remembered. Right. But I re- I really liked that they were able to do the static and 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 having the cameras positioned so as to show more of the empty background. Kind of made uh, it made me pay more attention to things away from the actors, so to speak, because I was always looking to see where the crazy thing was going to happen and right. uh you know what what part of the background the monster was going to pop up at or whatever you know what i'm saying yeah it added a, it added a whole new layer of uh dimension to the movie where in the first one it was basically confined to just the bedroom in one static spot and you know maybe a few little scenes there in the family room and them screwing around in the pool where this one not only had a handheld camera that they intertwined into it so nice that the the people who edited this together decided to do it all, you know, chronologically. That was that was very smart of them. Yeah. But it also spread out the house and made it feel a lot bigger in a way. Yeah. I, well, I do. I do think this is a bigger place. There's more stuff, and I mean, I I love the conceits of the security cameras. I'll be honest with you. I was thinking about this, you know, as I watched the the two salespeople come through and sell Daniel Ray on on his security system. That the look on their face, whether they were directed to do this or if they just picked up guys from the local Best Buy or something, they had this look of his like, man, this commission is going to rule because they were overselling <laughs> this dude big time. I mean, you know, Nick, you're a salesperson. Well, that's a big hop. That's you know, a big hop. Yeah, you, oh, yeah, you see the look on that guy's face like, oh, man, this dude is loaded and he's scared and doesn't care. So he's just throwing money at him for. Yeah, yeah, we'll put one in the bathroom. Yeah, whatever. You know, yeah. he just wants it done. Yeah. You know, being in sales, that's always like my I don't know, I guess it's kind of bad to say, but like I do a lot of traffic safety. And anytime there's like a bad accident or someone dies, it's like open checkbook because <laughs> they have to come to me and I get to sell them basically anything that's going to fix their problem. You know, bad situation, kind of like what it is there. But being a salesman, you're like, oh, yes, you know. Yeah. And I mean, that's, hey, it's Monday and I don't have to work the rest of the week. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's that's the setup is the house break in, but nothing is, you know, the house, there's a break in and then nothing's gone. And Hunter's room's the only one that's not disturbed. You know, this is after we meet the family when they come in. And and I, let's talk about our family dynamic here, though, because this is different this time. And and this is the one thing about this movie that intrigues me and infuriates me at the same level. I don't think we get to know as much about these people as we did Mika and Katie last time. Like, we know Christy, and we get a lot of her, and we know she's Katie's sister. We know Daniel, this is his second wife, and Allie's his teenage daughter. You know, we don't get anything about her mom, where she is, what's up with that, you know. She's uh, dead. Is that it? Is that yeah. in there? Did I miss that? Okay. Yeah, she died. Uh, there was uh, it was like a throwaway line in the movie that her mom died. Oh, see, I totally missed that. So I'm glad you caught that. I did. I didn't know that. So yeah, I, I watched them. I watched the movie with subtitles. So okay. Well, there there you go. That was the other thing I was going to say. I had to crank the heck out of the volume on my television to hear this thing. The yeah, sound the volume, in this the is horrible. Was terrible. But but I think I know why. Because security cameras, they would be so far away. The microphones on those. It's not about what you hear. It's what you see on those. They wouldn't be good. And I. I, for a while, I used to ding this movie for that, and now I think it's actually part of the setup, is that the quality isn't good, so it makes you pay attention, therefore, repeat viewings. I suppose. Um, the thing, though, is that, you know, we're talking about the whole conceit of this house security thing. It's kind of like, okay, your house gets broken into. What are the security cameras going to do besides just try, hopefully try to catch the perp? You know, I, th- I think that's what it was. Get- they just want to try to catch whoever's doing it, you know, so that they can then. Because these don't come off as people that, again, Daniel doesn't come off as somebody who's got a shotgun under the bed. 
Well, you know. go get a mean dog or something like that. Well, he's got a. That's what they've got a German Shepherd. He's got a German Shepherd. Who's the German sweet- Shepherd is the that, that is the wussiest German Shepherd she I've ever seen. He is the sweetest dog in the. Do not knock that dog. That dog is cute. He is cute, but, but it's a wimpy out. dog. It's not wimpy. It's very well trained. Did you not see Daniel doing hand commands to the dog? Oh no, that dog is awesome. I mean, it stands and points by the kid's bed, and all that. That dog was awesome. I don't know what the, whatever animal wrangler they got. They probably spent more money on that than they did paying some of the actors. Well, they probably did. But so, I don't know. Get, get, get like a half pit bull, half wolf, or something. I, I bet he. I bet he had more of a rate than Allie's boyfriend got. But uh, you know, but the useless Ben, I called him, or whatever his name was, but uh, Brad, whatever. No, I. I don't know though. What do you make of our family here and our family dynamic. I mean, do, do you latch onto these people the way you did Mika and Katie? The only one I latched onto is actually the daughter. I thought she was pretty interesting. Um, I think you got a little bit more character development with her because I think probably about 75% of the time she's the one actually operating that hand camera. Yeah. And you do get some more intimate scenes with her, you know, like on the, you know, outside looking on the computer, her kind of, you know, giving like a uh, little like testimonials in her, front of the camera video throughout. Yeah, exactly. So I think with her, you know, the connection, I, I thought she was the most well-rounded character. The father just came off like a total douchebag. Like well, he did. That, that's the thing I've noticed. The men in these films, even Mika, they don't come off like good guys. Like, they come off like douchebags. I, and, and, I, and I hate that, that it's like, oh, it's got to be the guy who's going to sit there and be like, oh, no, there's nothing wrong here. Oh, these crazy women and stuff like that. And it's like, again, it's like, I don't know. I, I wish they would have called for some type of help like they did in the, um, um, you know, in the first one, instead of him just being in this complete denial, especially when, you know, she has all these crazy stories and there's a lot of weird stuff happening. I mean, even when, uh, Allie gets locked out of the house. Oh yeah. That's dude, a pretty freaky sequence. Yeah. Yeah. And th- that to sit there and go, Oh, that's the wind. No, it's not. The wind wouldn't do that. Uh, yeah. The, his turn at the end of the, the, uh, the beginning of the third act is we'll get there when we get there. We, we can't leave out one person though. Martine, or as you called her Consuela. And I assume you're referring to, you know, uh, oh, no, 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 <laughs> no, no Superman, no home from family guy. But I, I did like this character. Mexican though, but, Superman. <laughs> I, I liked her, though, because she she obviously had a close relationship with the family, particularly Allie, because Allie tries to you know, use Spanish on her. She's like, keep going, keep going. Oh, now you got it, you know? And she I don't know. She seems neat, but she's always, like, blessing the house. And I was like, well, I, now I know what her purpose is. Was, is that really a fireable offense? I mean, <laughs> That's come what I on. Know. I, I don't know what the union rules are, but sheesh. How, <laughs> there are no union rules. There, she's one She's one phone call away from being deported. And I think, and, and Daniel knows this. He's, he's definitely taking advantage of this poor woman. I yeah, he, he totally is. I mean, that's one I like. And he's totally like the dude. And the Go worst ahead. part is he's he's Hispanic himself. Mm-hmm. Clearly, given that his last name is Ray R E Y. Um, and yet, well, when you look at Allie, I mean, obviously she she looks. Yeah. Now I don't know. I don't think Molly Ephraim's Hispanic at all, but she certainly looks it. You know, so. Well, you yeah, know, the, we're, the role would have been better done by George Lopez. I'm just going to say that. <laughs> no, no, it, it should have been Carlos Mencia. There we go. <laughs> they could they couldn't afford George Lopez in 2000. What is this? 2000. 10. 10, so. 10 yeah, he would well, have been they, too expensive. I think it's an amazing thing. They shot this in three weeks. I mean, they they did this pretty fast for three million bucks. I mean, they didn't waste any time with it. So, um, I I like some of the things that they do here, though. Uh, when 
you know, just the little conceits, the loud noises, the you know, the bird that slams into the window. There's lots of callbacks. You know, there's that's a little Hitchcock moment. Then there's that baby monitor static thing, and I'm like, I remember that in Insidious. They ripped that off again. You know, like the, I think the Blumhouse films do this. They're they're all sort of intricately, somewhat or another related to each other in the same sort of cousiny universe in some way. So yeah, I, I, I got to ask though, with that whole bird scene, and he used the grill tongs. Yeah, that was kind of tripped out, right? That was kind of gross. It's like, did but he throw that, away those grill tongs? I, I mean, took just that as, a paper towel. I took that as he was trying to gross out his teenage daughter, and clearly it worked. Yeah, but I don't think he threw away those grill tongs. I think he was flipping burgers the next night with the same tongs. Well, I'll probably defeat the just, Mika, because I didn't, I didn't get the sense that he and Mika were buds. He just kind of tolerated it, you know? Just run it through the dishwasher. It'll be fine. <laughs> the dishwasher that opens and closes <laughs> itself. If I threw away everything that came in my house that has come in contact with a dead animal, I would have nothing in my house. This sounds like another episode of Pet Cemetery waiting to happen. So, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I've just got a, a bunch of reanimated, evil, <laughs> broke neck birds <laughs> hanging out. But you do have you do you do have a cat that will occasionally appear on this podcast. So if, if anybody's listened to some of the previous episodes, they know that. So <laughs> the cat the cat hangs around. I think he made an appearance in the room. So yeah, but, well, I, I didn't have doggy, but you know, I had a cat. Yeah. So. <laughs> Uh, if you could have put Tommy Wiseau in this as the the salesman for the cameras, that would have been outstanding. No, Tommy Wiseau as Martine. Oh, yes. Tommy Wiseau would have been great as that. Doing some kind of weird Eastern European <laughs> voodoo. He could have done his hand like Ronnie James Dio. You know. Demon, you're tearing me apart. <laughs> <laughs> the demon looks so beautiful in his red dress. Oh, God. <laughs> we do get a little bit of, well, we get a lot of the history here of Katie and Christy, who have a history of haunting. And I, I like how this is revealed at the pool party, where the guys are kind of playing it off. And Mika's like, what? What? I don't know about it. Just tell me this stuff. And Katie's like, nah, I ain't talking about this. No, nah, I don't want to talk about this. And like, she starts to get like defensive about it. And I'm like, okay, that's strange. And so it's intriguing. Like, I, it, you know, people do this in horror films all the time. Like, the worst example I can ever think of is the the people in Halloween Five that put the man, the man in black running around and the tattoo on Michael's wrist, and they're like, we don't know what it means. Somebody else can figure that out. And then they when they figured it out, it was horrible. You know, they just threw this stuff in there, and I'm like, man, that sometimes that conceit can just be awful and then occasionally it can work and here i felt like most of it worked i got the sense that christy had completely blocked this all out and katie sure enough didn't want to revisit it yeah that that definitely makes sense and i and i'm gonna make the case here that katie who has a lot uh, or katie featherstone who has a lot less credits to her uh on her imdp rmdb page than uh spray graden is a much more of a natural actress i agree i sprague graden is not a bad actress and this is a fine performance she's a good tv actress in particular but i i didn't buy it from her all the time like i felt like i was watching an actress play a role and that can be fine i mean i can go with that but katie featherstone comes off as much more natural with everything that she's doing and she's only in a few scenes she's not in a lot of this so Unless you want to make the argument that that Christy was trying uh, that she, what she was attempting to do was deliberately uh, pretend she doesn't remember any of this, and maybe uh, that's it. Maybe and it's coming would. across as a person trying to lie instead of an actress acting. And maybe that was it. I don't know. That's 
certainly a conceit you could give it. The, the problem with it is, and Nick, you and I have already talked about it, it, it goes on long. And I, I wanted to kind of go back to that and ask you, Ron, how do you feel about it? Because to me, the middle part of this movie just just drags. Yeah, it, it, it definitely moves a lot slower, I think, Pro- probably because they have a bigger cast uh, of people and they're trying to work in all this uh, ass-backwards exposition. Uh, they could probably cut, you know, 10 or 15 minutes out of this middle at least and, and still have a pretty uh, tolerable movie. And at times it feels like it takes too long to get to the creepy stuff that we're all waiting for. Yeah, I mean, like it to me, nothing really big starts happening until we get that poltergeist scare where the toys start coming to life, you know, and things like that. Like we get the stroller knocking over and some thumps and things like that but that to me starts the pan the, falling <laughs> yeah yeah that but i mean you know th- they set that up good though because when the, the when the kitchen explodes basically that that's a great scare but th- to come later but to me it doesn't do we, really do we really need a 10 minute scene about the pool filter well that's what i'm saying like that to me seemed like such a throwaway thing like was the pool filter just climbing its way out and that just happened to be coincidence or was the demon like pool yanking filters it don't out? do that jay well, I don't know. I don't have a pool, so <laughs> they don't. They, they they can't scale six inches of uh, of concrete like that. In the even like when you see that, it was like, yeah, of course that's not supposed to happen. <laughs> and they dad's just like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It just does that. It's like, come on, man, really? So well, how did he get on. it to do it though? That's the thing. How did he get it to replicate it for him? Because he gets it to jump out at him and show him that, hey. Yeah, he submerged happened. it in the water and it exploded up at her because it got filled with water and it, you know, it ended up shooting up because of that. But no, he didn't get it to replicate actually like scaling the concrete uh, ledge of the pool. He never got it to do that. Oh, you know what? That's a good point. I had thought about it like that. So, But they do play it off that way because Daniel's the last one to be convinced of anything. Right. Like that's that's what we get. Martine knows it from the outset because she talks about there's there's weird spirits here. And th- our bad spirits here, and I'm trying to keep them away. And then I think Allie and Christy slowly but surely come around together. You know, after the hot, hot tub and the toys coming to life and all of that, you know, goofy stuff starts. starts That's, to- and this is my question is like, okay, you got this demon. Why is he, you know, he or she or whatever it is doing this stuff? I mean, it's like, oh, it's going to make the toy truck move. It's going to well- drop a pan on the ground. It's going to turn the hot tub up hotter. I mean, it's kind of, these are kind of lame little things it's doing you know what i mean it's, well they are they, they're it's like pranking but it, it's it, there's a throwaway bit in there where Allie's doing her google research and she talks about you know demons will will trade wealth and fame or you know whatever for the soul of the male son and there hadn't been a male born in you know the line the christie's line of the family and i don't know 20 something years 30 something years or whatever it's the 1930s yeah so i mean yeah so it's been longer than that it's been 80 years and so until that happened and until you gave it over once it did happen you were going to get terrorized that's what i understood was happening and this was just the demon's way of just screwing with people see i wish they would add like some other type of throwaway line where maybe it's like the demon like can't necessarily you know Come to full power, it's got to like get people to fear it and believe in it before it can actually like <laughs> so manifest. You wanted, the well, you wanted well, this to be Freddy Krueger, yeah, well, so something Christine. like that. Because to me, it's just like just go get the baby. I mean, obviously, like it, I'm taking the demon was the thing that trashed the house. You know, it completely yeah. trashed the house, stole the necklace, and you know, 
I don't know what it was doing with the necklace, but it, it, it trashed the house, and then it goes from doing that to like, okay, I'm going to turn the hot tub up really hot, because I know that uh, Ray's going to jump in there, you know? I don't know. It's just little things like that were just kind of like, uh, you guys are just trying to burn time. But they but they do mention, uh, they do talk about the more you speak of it, the stronger it gets. The more you're afraid of it, the, the more powerful it becomes. Yeah, Katie's the one that says that, right? Like, if you stop talking about this, she's the one that gets kind of angry with her sister. Said, just, I remember you crying and being, you know, being able to talk for months and mom, really. And she drops some line about, you're going to wind up just like mom. And we're like, oh, what happened to mom? Because we got the sense last time we all talked about how we didn't get a sense that Katie was really, you know, close to family at all and Mika didn't seem to ever mention his family any so now we're getting to understand a little bit more why I mean I think it's there but I'm with you Nick I wish there had been a little bit more of that and less of the pool cleaner and things along those lines like it just takes forever for something to finally happen it's like they're baiting me to keep watching what's behind me and I just see a door move and a door move and I don't know I keep waiting for more to happen it's not really until the dog gets hurt that everything really kicks into gear, I don't think. Yeah. You know, even when Katie's doing her visits, maybe I missed this part, but did they actually tell her that stuff was going on in the house? Yeah, they, they talk about it, and she yeah, doesn't I mean, want to I know they talk about yeah. their past, but I wasn't sure if she was actually bringing up like current events of what happened. Oh, yeah. I mean, Daniel has this and whole I guess thing going that, about, we have a ghost, you know? Yeah, and I guess, you know, that's a plot hole for the first movie, or well, not really a plot hole for the first movie, but the fact that Katie never brings up her sister having stuff happen to her when this is happening to them. Right, yeah, that is interesting, but uh, well, I well, I don't even know how you can retcon that. There, it, you, you can't, you can't. I guess the only way to do yeah. it is really not to tell her what's going on. You know, kind of like, or that all the footage we saw from the last one was just Mika and Katie being haunted of all the stuff that got assembled. I mean, you could say that. Well, you have yeah. to remember that there are three levels of uh, demonic possession, uh. And I've watched a movie recently where something was mentioned about that, so that's how I know this. Uh, there was infestation where minor paranormal phenomena happens, and then obsession where it becomes more intensified and picks out its target. And, of course, stage three is full-on exorcist uh, shrieking in the basement uh, thing. So uh, demonic possession, at least in, in as far as this universe is concerned, seems to fall along that same kind of pattern where it starts out small but slowly takes over its target <laughs> that sounds exactly like the plot of the conjuring um, that was made many years later but yeah i think but that's, that's yeah but that's not just like uh the conjuring that's actually like in in the quote-unquote real demonic well, position no, I, literature. I have no doubt. I, I'm sure Ed and Lorraine Warren probably wrote that. So, I mean, that sounds like something <laughs> yeah. they would have come up with. I, oh, yeah. I mean, it's, I'm it's buying in my your answer, yeah. It's, a, it's in my copy of the Necronomicon, so <laughs> it, it's totally true. <laughs> but I guess, you know, I guess for this movie, though, uh, one of the things that kind of bugged me a little bit was it totally had that Marvel feeling to it where, you know, the first one was a self-contained movie. And this one kind of felt like, okay – they're going through the motions. They got their story to tell, but they're also setting up stuff, I think, for future movies. Now, I have no idea what 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 are about, but it felt like there was a lot of like lines and everything kind of dropped well, in this movie where it's like, okay, yeah, they're going to go to that in future movies. At least that's what it seems like. And that's always like one of the main reasons why I kind of dislike a lot of the Marvel movies is it's like 
just tell your story. You know, you don't have to keep on playing the setup game for another future movie. And even though this movie doesn't really fall too hard into that trope, but it's still there. And I guess that was kind of a yeah. little bit distracting because they're kind of like, okay, yeah, that's okay. They're going to bring that up and then they're going to drop that. But it, it only really sets up the next, uh, the future towards the end. It seems like to me, it works a lot harder to connect itself to the first movie, I think. I, I think the problem it runs into is that it knows, and of course we all know, the audience would know, how this ends. We know Katie and Mika and their fate, essentially. We know that Mika dies, Katie disappears, and we, you know, mm-hmm. we don't know what happens after that. So we know we're leading up to that because we keep seeing these people. And so it, yeah. it's trapped into that corner that at some point it's got to get to that. And how does it get there? And that's what I wanted to ask y'all was what about I, the way that they decide to go there? I think it would have worked a lot better had we not seen the 60 days before the death of Mika Sloat thing in the beginning. Yeah. Uh, I think it would have worked better if. You know, blah, 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 family crap's happening. Christy opens the door and boom, there's Katie. I, I think they worked a little too I wonder, to, and I, I don't have any of the back-the-scenes stuff, but I wonder if that's not a Paramount thing. Like, that feels like such a studio thing. Like, you got to put something in there about how long it's going to be till he's dead. You know, and they were like, okay, fine. And so they threw that in there. Like, you you got to make sure people people aren't so stupid they don't know this is a sequel to right. that movie. Well, or, you know, you, you got to tell people what the white horse means, Rob. You know, I mean, it's it's that kind of stuff. You know, I mean, that, that's what it felt like to me. Now, I may be totally wrong about that, but I, I'm with you, though. That, to me, sets it up. Because you know you're like, well, like, what can happen in two months? And are we going to see every day of two months? That's the other thing that got me was they started putting you know, the nights up. And I thought night one, night two, night, and then it's like night eight, night 17. And I'm like, so we're just going to jump around and all of this. So what happens on those other nights? Nothing. Does he just drop pans those other nights? And we've already seen that. I mean, is there uh, somewhere was, a four hour cut of this? You know, he was all playing poker or something. But <laughs> I, I if I could do like a re-edit on this movie, what I would have done was not have Katie be in it until about 45 or 50 minutes or even an hour into this movie. Don't bring up anything about that actually being her sister. Don't bring that up at all. Had that be kind of like a mid twist in the movie and don't put anything about dates on there. I mean, you could put like September 1st or whatever like that, but drop the year kind of keep it in secret. So all suddenly, you know, an hour goes in the movie and also it's like, wait a minute, that's Katie from the first one. And you kind of like cuss, like, what's going on? What is she there? Is this after the movie? I thought this was a sequel. Then it's also like, oh no, it's a prequel. They could have done, I think they could have done that a lot better than just to come out right at the beginning and go, yeah, this is a prequel. Here she is. And it's 60 days before the events of the first one. I think that was a big mistake because not only that, but you also know that everybody in that house is at least safe until that 60 days is up. So you have no fear for anything that's happening to them until you get to that point. I don't disagree with you, but they would have also had to trim a lot of this film and make it go a lot faster because otherwise I'd be sitting there going like, what's the point? Who are these people? You know, like I, again, I don't fall in love with this family the way I did the last two people. Come on, were- you know, you, you, you would have loved it at the end if all suddenly, you know, Allie's in the car and, and Katie pulls up and goes, let's race. No, no, that would have been great. I was saying that would that would have worked. Totally ties it all together. That would have made, that would have made it perfect, right? It's like I hear I hear you're fast, kid. Yeah, I know that would have been great, but 
I would we had had to get to where we get to a lot quicker. The best scare. But that's what we've been arguing though is that they should have got there a lot quicker. No, that's what I'm saying. By the time they get to the dog hurts and then the kitchen explodes on Christy, where she's just sitting there and like every drawer opens and slams. It's one of the best scares they they've concocted. I mean, this film is all about jump scares. So if you get ticked off about jump scares, you're watching the wrong friggin' movie anyway. You know that's what this movie does, and I I loved that one. I thought that was great, and I liked watching her mental disintegration essentially i mean when she gets dragged down the stairs finally and dragged out of that kid's room twice and then comes out of the basement two hours later because they do that same little camera trick again and she's just that trance that's good and i really love that they held off on doing that camera trick until after she was possessed right because that's one of my that is one of my favorite things they did in the first movie and here they keep that back for as long as they can and i think actually i think the first time it happens is the scene with the dog in the bedroom and then this time um so they only do it like twice but i think that makes it more effective like a scarier um you know absolutely it's like the paranormal activity version of like slow motion flying doves in a john (laughs) woo movie now i gotta ask now the uh quiji board when she's uh ali's playing with that with her boyfriend yeah is that the is that the same quiji board that uh mika had later i don't like this did he borrow that from ali maybe because i'm surprised that they didn't do that considering everything else like kind of i I didn't catch that, but I wouldn't be surprised. That's a good that would point. be great if that was the case. Yeah, that I. You know what? That makes total sense if that was that was the way that went. Because he did no, say I get, he I get, borrowed it. I mean, he didn't say. Yeah, he that, that's it. what I'm saying. He did say he's borrowing it and stuff like that. You know, but I guess the funniest part of this movie, and you know, this movie's not supposed to be funny, but I was laughing. Because I got visions of Baby's Day Out <laughs> when the baby gets out of the crib and he's just he's just running around the house, you know, he's just doing baby stuff, you know. Well, yeah, he gets he gets levitated and then set down, and he's like, "Oh, sweet freedom, <laughs> you know, to explore." <laughs> yeah, I, no, I thought that was hilarious too. I, you know, it's, it's the freaky thing because that's what you don't want to happen. It's something to the child, and all it does is just like, "Let me get you out of this crib, kid." You know, let's yeah, let, I, let's set Uncle Joey free, Marty. You know, <laughs> it only would have been better if he was riding on the dog. <laughs> <laughs> well, that would have been more true to life too. So, because <laughs> the dog yeah, that I, size would have been would have been a small horse for that child. So. Yeah, I made a joke that the that the demon let him down so they could both get a baggie of Cheerios. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is a this is a pretty pretty nice house. I mean, this is a big house. I mean, obviously in California, this is a over a million dollar home. Easy, and yeah. Okay, she gets locked out of the house. Are you going to tell me this this house doesn't have a key entry for the garage? That's what I was wondering. Like, there was no other way she could have ever got back in, you know? And you figure with all the security stuff you put in, you know, maybe they'd have something, you know, this is, you know, some type of keypad to get back well, be- in or better so, yet. something like that. What Did they te- have a what, garage? What teenager doesn't have, like, a hide-a-key outside somewhere? That's what I was wondering. Yeah, I mean, come on. She's having like little like rendezvous with her boyfriend in the hot tub. You know, she's pretty good at probably sneaking out. I imagine she would have some way back in. That's what I would think too. Like that's what I'm saying. Like this girl's supposed to be what, fifteen, sixteen, maybe. You know, something like that. She's not driving, so she's teenager, but she's lost her mom. Her dad's remarried. This younger woman. You know, got this new baby in the house. She doesn't show any of the signs of rebellion that you normally would see from a teenager. She's like the most well-adjusted teenager oh, ever. Oh yeah, she's 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 rebellious because you go into a room and it's pink and black. Oh, well, she yeah, crazy. she's got that, and she and she curses on her video blog. You're right, but uh, she's yeah. got a remo- 
She's got a Ramones poster. <laughs> yeah. That's how you know there's that there's she's rebelling against her family. She, pa- she paints her toenails black too. So you yeah, know. No, nothing says rebellious like '80s punk rock <laughs> in 2006 or whenever this takes place. But uh, <laughs> yeah, even you know, come on. I mean, no matter what teenager it is. Their phone's attached to them. You know what I mean? They, she ain't leaving. She ain't even going to go answer the door without having that phone in her. Well, that's, hands. The, that's that was, the thing. This is 2006. She doesn't have a phone. Like, there's no cell phone action in this movie. Not nearly like you would expect. And I just have to think. I'm like, was I attached to my cell phone in 2006? And I was like, yeah, I kind of always had it with me. You know, so yeah, she'd be texting her boyfriend and all that stuff. So I, that's what I'm like. You know, she gets locked out of the house. I'm like. She should have probably, you know, had her cell phone or even gone to the neighbors and called the cops. I mean, something that's like the that other happens. thing. Yeah, you don't call the neighbors. You don't do. And I, I, don't, I guess you can write that out as well. She didn't want to get in trouble, but I'm like, well, she's waiting till they get home anyway. So she's gonna get in trouble as it is. So this is America. We don't talk to our neighbors here. Not anymore. You're right. This, this, not, not in this world. That's for sure. So, but let's talk about what happens to Christy after she comes out of that you know, basement in that trance-like state. I mean, she's got that bite mark on her leg. She's seriously agitated. You know, I mean, it's it, she's starting to get creepy. And I, I'll say that's the best acting Sprague Graydon does in the film is when she is, I guess, semi-possessed Christy. Yeah, that's when she really seems to turn it on, I guess. Um, I really liked the scene where um, Allie goes into the baby's room and goes to pick up the baby. Chrissy just starts like shrieking at her. I thought that was great. Yeah, it's really freaky out. And like I say, the last third of this film really works. Like it just kicks into gear and starts going. And I love how Daniel finally gets convinced after all of this stuff has happened. He's finally not going to be in denial. And he starts rummaging through something looking for Martine's phone number. You know, and that's who he calls back in. And I love they had that little. Uh, it was almost like the principal and the secretary and Ferris Bueller in the office there, where they're going back and forth, like you need olive oil. You know, they're going. On all, I don't know what they were doing there. You know, it's like, it's like Ed, have my daughter out front in twenty minutes. You know, is what it felt like. But I like that he calls her back in. But what about the answer they come up with? Is you got to transfer it to a family member, so they're going to put it on Katie. Was that the only option and had to go to another family member? That's that's what he goes. Allie's like, you know, telling him you can't do this to her. And he's like, you know, it's got to be another family member. I'm making the decision. It's over. Ugh. And I'm like, well, when did you become an alpha? Probably when um, he went to the vet and got uh, reverse neutered. Well, we finally get, though, to the seance and we see the you talk about the ultimate tie into the last movie. We That picture they find in the the attic that's burned on the four corners. And, and my question to y'all is. Does Daniel have to go put that there, or does the demon like you know go on a road trip and put it there? I think it's the demon road trip. Uh, I don't know why Daniel would go break in their house and rummage around in their attic to, just to put that picture up there. I thought the burning of the picture was what transferred the demon. So the burning of the thing did transfer the demon, but yeah, that's what I was questioning too. I was like. Is he going to go put it there? I think he did. I think he actually went there and put it in that house. I think he maybe like you know went over there and like talking to Mika or something, and like you know when Mika was taking a dump or something, he ran upstairs and threw it in their attic. I think that's what happened. Maybe not the dump part, but I think he did go put it there. I got my Ouija board back that you set on fire. What the hell, dude? You know. <laughs> but that's where we know that comes from, and then. Everything seems to be fine. We go three weeks later and everything's cool. Everybody's happy. Everybody's normal again. And Katie's over there playing with her nephew and hanging out going, 
ah, some weird stuff's been going on at home, right? And then that's the aha. It's supposed to be the aha moment. And Nick, I'm with you. Like now that you've said that, I'm like, well, wouldn't it be great if that's when Katie showed up? <laughs> that's when we realized that was happening, and we're like, oh no! And then it all, you know, clipped in for us. I think that would be that would be pretty effective. Yeah, I think that would have been a great that would have been a great third act reveal where it's like, oh crap, this is why it all happened. Right, and then of course we see Katie show up and essentially wipe out Daniel and and Christy while Allie's on a school trip. You know, and th- that was my question to y'all though. I I mean I like the Allie character too, but I kind of thought she should have died with them. Like, why does she get to live? Sequels. Because she's not part of the family. Well, she is, though. She's da- Well, you're right. She's Daniel's daughter. She's not Christie's daughter. You're right. Yes. Yeah, there's no blood connection to Hunter. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. I kind of thought Katie should kill her, too. But I, I think the way she kills Daniel's pretty pretty gruesome. I mean, that neck well, break is deserved. pretty good. Oh, he, well, he deserved, deserved it. it. Oh, he totally deserved it. But, I mean... I, I thought it was effective is what I'm saying. But yeah, when I saw this in the theater, that made people like laugh in, in, in like the celebratory. It's about time he died. Well, it, it, I mean, it does almost look and sound like she gave him a good adjustment, though. You know, so, yeah, I mean, I've, I've definitely been, made that noise at my chiropractor. I was say, I, I've been to the chiropractor and I'm like, oh, that that's happened to me. So, you know, uh, but yeah, it feels that way. But I love the way she kills Christy, too, because it it. You can tell that after all of this has been transferred, Christy has no memory. That's the thing that gets me is none of these people seem to have any memory of what happened to them. You know, like they're not traumatized by any of this at all. And she has no idea why her sister is covered in blood, walking to her with that freaky look on her face and then force pushes her through the wall. Yeah, she had some Vader action going on there. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, that's the thing. I'm like, man, this this ghost is into the Jedi. And it's a fun uh, kind of a fun callback as it. Yeah. Well, yeah, I guess it would be a callback at this point to how she killed Mika. Yeah, yeah, because she Cause, threw him into the wall. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm I mean, surprised the baby was okay. That's what I wanted to know. She was holding the baby when that happened. And I'm like, how did just she like force hold the baby and set him down too? I mean, uh, that's a great question. I don't know. Maybe he's protected from the Prince of Darkness anyway. You know, I mean, who knows? You know, it's uh, he, he was wearing really good Pampers. They they. <laughs> Maybe the, the, well, it's his, it's his, uh, his uncle Damien stepped in. There you go. So he just jumped in. So, see, that, that, that would have been the ultimate like twist at the end. Like she does that and kills the kid too, and she's just like, oh crap. Yeah, that, <laughs> this that's is like, all screwed. Now, now I'm screwed. I think you've just wrote the the sequel to Paranormal Activity too. So, but uh, before we go there, and Nick jets off to Hollywood, time for final thoughts, recommendations, and popcorn ratings on Paranormal Activity two. Ron. Uh, I would give it a medium popcorn. It, it's it definitely has its flaws, but I, I have to say I still enjoyed it when that final third kicked in. Um, it's definitely one of the weaker of the series, um, but I would say I would still rate it a medium popcorn. I would say if you like the jump scares uh, and you can make it through the first like two thirds of the movie without being too bored, the the last third is really going to save it for you. Nick, I have been thinking about this the whole entire time because uh, going into the podcast, I really haven't been able to make up my mind as to what my rating is going to be. See, I gave the first one a medium popcorn. I thought, while wow, it was a well-made movie. I had some serious issues with it. I had the same issues with this one. This one took a while to get going, and 
I still I feel that even though the first you know the first you know third is you know it's it's the setup you got to give it that the middle part it really 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 drags but the third act to me it makes up for that really lacking second act now I don't think it's better than the first one but I don't think it's much worse and I can't rate this a small popcorn because we've seen a lot of shit that I've rated small popcorn. And it's and it's a lot better than like Hellraiser, you know, 17 or uh, AVPR. So I got to go with a medium popcorn for this one as well. You know, as I said, I think the third act is well worth it. I think, you know, if anybody is watching this movie for the first time, you could probably skip over the middle half hour of it by just kind of, you know, putting it on 2x speed or something like that, you, you know. You're going to get a couple little tidbits, but all it's going to do is just kind of do some throwaway stuff that ties it into the first one. But the last third of it is is really good. And if the whole movie would have been as good as the third act, it would have been a large popcorn. But it's 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 a, it's a solid medium. I see what you do is you make dinner, you sit down, you eat dinner during the first act. The second act, you clean up and put things away and just kind of leave it on in the background. You sit down and eat your dessert for the third act. And I think that's how this movie works is it's the bookends are way stronger than the middle. And really that third act is what saves it. This would be small popcorn if it continued down the road it was going in act two, but it saves itself in the third act. And I give a lot of that to the screenwriters and the director for knowing when to turn it on and when to do it. And I think that's going to be the conceit of this series is when do they turn it on you know when do they start doing it because we know what we're getting to at this point uh, but for me this is a medium popcorn too not as good as the first one not as enjoyable of a watching experience but that third act does pay off and and it's it's good for what it does and i'm intrigued i was intrigued enough at the end of this that the third one i was like okay i really want to know what happens in this third one i i want to see this i was i was excited for it and especially when I found out who was going to be heading it, and we'll talk about some of that next time, but the catfish guys get a hold of this series um, after part two here. And so that's going to take it in a different direction uh, even more. And uh, really Does look- the demon turn out to be a fat, you know, <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, it turned out, you know, it was posing as like a sexy female and turns out to be a big fat guy from uh, – Oklahoma is that what happens no it, it doesn't it doesn't borrow the catfish um, twist if you will but it does take does Henry Juiced and, and uh, Ariel Schumann's uh, camera abilities and I think uh, there's going to be a lot to talk about in the next episode when we talk about Paranormal Activity 3 folks thanks for joining us for the podcast as always leave us a review on iTunes let us know what you think of the show hook up with us on Facebook Twitter let us know what you think of uh, our opinions here if you've got different ones share them with us we always enjoy interacting with you Until next time, for Nick and Ron, I'm Jay. Thanks for listening to Filmstrip. Thank you for listening to Filmstrip. You can find more episodes on our website, filmstrippodcast.com. The Filmstrip theme music is produced and performed by Frozen Lake 121. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title 17.